0: Hello podcast listeners. I am your host Analia Poppin and I'm here with
1: Andrew Scott.
0: <laughs> and this is the Frodo Got Lost podcast. This podcast is going to cover the Lord of the Rings franchise under the lens of gender and race. We have both been Lord of the Rings fans for For quite a while, yeah. And we he originally started watching it before I even got into it. And when I got into it, the Hobbit movies were already out, the original trilogy. But when he started watching it, when in the series did you begin?
1: Uh, I had watched it um, before The Hobbit had come out, so... I watched it sometime after the originals had come out, and then before The Hobbit. So I watched The Hobbit as it came out, but I watched the original three when they were all out already.
0: And we're not just going to be covering the original trilogy and The Hobbit in this edition. We are also going to be covering the recent new show on Amazon called The Rings of Power. And so that is where we are going to begin this podcast. I am going to be covering the gender on this episode and Andrew will be giving his comments on my research. Okay, so I want to begin with pointing out that the world Tolkien details is so well developed. Tolkien is the original author of Lord of the Rings. He was the one who wrote the original Lord of the Rings book trilogy. He wrote one Hobbit book, and he also wrote a thing called the Samarillion. He didn't really write it because he had passed away, but he had made notes about it and his son had compiled it all together into the Samarillion. So we're gonna start off with the reason that gender and race are so important to talk about in this series is because Tolkien is a very, very detailed writer. He really, really put effort into developing the world that he was creating. But because his world is so well developed, it becomes obvious when he lacks the development of the female roles or any female character in his series. And... In his book series, the males are definitely seen as as heroes and the females are others compared to the heroes. And in the original trilogy, there are only three significant characters, Arwen, Galadriel, and Eowyn. Not one of them is part of the Fellowship. The Fellowship is a group of the white, white characters, white men, in the show or in the series, and they're the ones who have the duty of taking the ring back to Mordor. Yeah, and the women don't really play a role in that. Have you really seen that throughout?
1: Well, Arwen saves Frodo's life. (laughs)
0: We'll get into that. We'll get into that. So women play small roles within the book. We're going to be covering both comparing the book and the movies. So we're going to talk about the original Lord of the Rings trilogy right now. So the women in the grander scheme of things help develop the male sense of masculinity through their passive role in the book. So the first time Arwen appears, Arwen is one of the elves, and she sits next to her father Elrond and her cousin Lor and the description of the two male elves is full of hints to their strength of character. Elrond is described to be venerable as a king, crowned with many winters, and yet hail as a tried hero warrior in the fullness of his strength. Borfindel's description also reveals his power. On his brow sat wisdom, and in his hand was strength. Arwen, however, is only depicted as lovely and beautiful to look at. The next time we see her, she is sitting with her father while Aragorn stands protectively next to her, looking down on her. Thus, Arwen is presented as a very beautiful woman, but we do not get to know anything about her actual character. The only thing Tolkien hints at is a certain weakness, as she is always described to be close to either her father or Aragorn who protect her. So that is the book description that Tolkien gives of Arwen throughout the book and it's important to note that in the production of The Lord of the Rings the actual movies they do give Arwen a little bit more of a role. When Frodo is Hurt and injured. Arwen does come to his rescue. And in that scene, you would think that she would be a badass character. But it doesn't go past that point. She has what you would call flaw for love after that point. Where she's consistently wanting to be by Aragorn's side. And that is her main worry is that love she even gives up eternal life for that love instead of going to where the elves go for eternal life she decides to stay back giving up her eternal life for a mortal life to be with aragorn that is very very typical of a woman and their depiction in a lot of media so this movie does not really differ from that as i would say do you have any like comments on how you view Arwen?
1: Well, I think I think you pretty much nailed it uh, on the head. She, uh, you know, we the first time we see her, she like comes in on this horse and like runs from all the Nazgul, who are like the really big bad guys that. The Aragorn and Frodo and the rest of the hobbits were running from I mean it's like dude Aragorn Aragorn's pretty badass and he couldn't even handle all of them so they're running away and then Arwen comes out of comes out of nowhere on her horse and saves Frodo and then even like controls the water so that, like they like stampedes and Nazgul and so you see this character and you're like that's pretty badass like uh, I wonder what we're gonna see next from her and then you see all of the, fe- like, the hobbits and Aragorn, they're all in Rivendell. And then it's revealed that she is the lover of Aragorn. And so then you're like, okay, well, now her fate is pretty much just the lover of the main character. And you don't really see her do pretty much anything else And then I think the, the, in Fellowship of the Ring, you don't even, like, see her again.
0: Yeah, I think other than that, I think the only other time we see her is in Aragorn's dreams throughout the book. And he just imagines her dying. And, like, them not being able to be together. She is in the very last scene of the last movie, Return of the King, because she is in there when he's crowned king. So she is the queen and she births his children. That is about all that she's given, which is really, really devastating because you the movies were kind of setting it up to give a stronger character away from the character that she was given in the book. And so it's really, really devastating that they gave one good scene to her and didn't carry on with it
1: i think it's also um, notable to mention that arwen wasn't even in the books it was she was created for the movies and so it's like okay you know i understand that there's no female roles to go off of in the books but if you're going to create one then why would you create one that is going to be so like underwhelming and disappointing you know
0: Yeah, because, like, the only... When I was quoting that from his original book, she was just referenced as his daughter, as something to just build up that character. Like I mentioned earlier, where the females are there in that passive role to build up the masculinity of, of the male. And when he gives that description, she's just, like, a background character. But in the book... But in the actual movie series, they do give her a bigger role as, like, a love interest. Because what are women good for... A babies. love interest, babies. 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 <laughs> basically, basically. So now I'm gonna go a little bit into Gladriel. So Gladriel is a very, a very interesting character to talk about because right now I'm only gonna cover the original series. The original trilogy movie and the Hobbit movie. I will go into Gladriel a little bit later when talking about the newer series. But Gladriel is described as a higher power with a purity to her, which bridges that gap where there can be a movement between masculine and feminine characters, where she does she does get the opening, the opening scene in Lord of the Rings where she's the voiceover. Which is really interesting that it's not a male voicing over at the beginning. She does voice over. She was one of the holders of the rings for the elves. But she is seen as this, like, pure character, beauty, very, very high up there. And she gets maybe seven minutes of screen time in the entire, like, original trilogy. I think in the Hobbit trilogy, which was... The original Hobbit movie, I mean, the original Hobbit book was just one book. And Peter Jackson decided to stretch that one book into three movies. So a lot of the Gladriel content we got in the Hobbit movies were from Peter Jackson's, like, imagination. And him thinking it up, which Gladriel was in a little bit, but she was seen as, like, someone who... She, you come to her for something because she's on the board of the elves where if something goes wrong, you come to her. But Peter Jackson wrote that in and she got maybe 20 minutes of screen time throughout the movies which is really, really sad because we don't get to really learn a lot about her, but she's a very, like, well-respected character, and you could have went farther with someone like her. The way that they built her up to be this well-respected female elf who gets to be in possession of a ring, that's really, really amazing for her. But Tolkien and Peter Jackson don't go too far with that. So that's about it for Gladriel for right now. I'm gonna go into AO. Yeah.
1: Well the thing with Gladriel is there's a moment in the movie where Frodo has the ring and he's with the elves and he like he's like awake one night and he's approached by Gladriel. This is in the movies, and he's like, Oh, why don't you have the ring? And so he like goes to offer her the ring and she like turns all evil mode on him and, like, tells him to put it away and, like, to never do it again. And the reason that she does that is because she is powerful. I mean, that kind of was inferred, is that she's a powerful being, you know, she's got one of the rings. So if she were to take the one ring, it would corrupt her, and she's like, she's like I think what she does specifically is she like goes up to Frodo and is like, "Oh, do you want to know what I would look like with the ring?" And like that's when she goes all like dark evil mode. Like mm-hmm. if you've ever watched the movie, like that's one of the parts where you're like, "Oh my gosh, like, it's kind of freaky." Like wow, glad
0: you're like. Yeah, she like you. she like
1: yeah she like her voice gets all like. Weird and stuff, but I mean, so like you you see that in the movie, and you think, Oh my gosh, wow, you know, like I know it's again like, same thing with Arwen you're like, This is a powerful character, I want to see it more, and then you don't like, you just don't see her again for the entire movie. And it's kind of weird because you think about it, you know, the movie is like a war or like a, a conflict, and that basically has ensnared all nations, every, everybody in the entire Middle Earth. And so then you have these elves, Galadriel. She's just chilling at home while everybody else is fighting. And that's, that's not a really good look for a woman. That's not what you want to see in a movie.
0: And that's not the character that she's like built up to be, which is like really surprising. And she does get another dark scene in The Hobbit where she does get kind of dark when they're on the mountain and she has to go see Gandalf. She does get another one of those dark scenes where you're like... Wow. Maybe, maybe Galadriel has something in her.
1: She, she's got a lot of depth, but it doesn't get expanded on. So, like, in that scene you're talking about, when she's dispelling the Necromancer, which we assume to be Sauron, you know, dispelling him. Um, she's using a lot of power, but, it, like, she's got this she's really weird, like, whenever she uses her power, she looks really evil. But, like, there's a lot of depth there, and then but the thing is, is like, none of it gets explained, so it's... It's depth that is actually shallow, like, because it never goes into depth. It's just, it's like, oh, this could be something, but we don't even go into it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I feel like this is like a theme with them is that all of their female characters are pretty flat, like background. You don't know a lot about them. It's like they're only significant at this point in the story and they don't get built up or like their story doesn't get to continue. There is one character, however, who really does get a describing in Lord of the Rings and it is Eowyn. Eowyn represents the oppression of women that hegemonic masculinity endorses in restricting women to limited roles and expectations in society. Eowyn is a part of the world of men unlike the other two women I talked about. She's not an elf. She is a part of the world of of men and Eowyn is described beyond simply having typical feminine features. Her long hair was like a river of gold, but in the next sentence it says strong, she seemed, and stern as steel. This juxtaposition of warmth and cold is represented in the descriptions of Eowyn and represents her struggle between the typical feminine practice of nurturing and loving and the typical masculine practice of being emotionless and stoic. Which is quite shocking that Tolkien wrote it that way. And I think that when I read how Tolkien described Eowyn, I think that it far outweighs the way Peter Jackson described her when we first met her. Because this description came when she was first, like, introduced in the book, when she was first introduced in the movies because she was only in the original trilogy. She she was just, like, a woman who was, like, who was very emotional about, like, the loss.
1: Yeah, she was concerned about her brother, Theodred, or whatever, who had just been killed by little Reed or whatever. And so, like, you know, textbook, they, they bring the woman on the screen. She's worried about her brother. It's just... Not definitely, definitely not what Tolkien probably would have envisioned for. A character like her
0: yeah and I think I think when I watched it, I was so confused about how they transitioned her character into being like I want to fight I want to fight in the movies because of how they introduced her first but when I read what Tolkien wrote and how he originally described her it makes sense that he would talk about her strength and respect from the people and it's revealed when she's named as one of, as the one to rule the people in the king's absence at war that's especially huge, is that usually they'd look for, like, the next man, but there's no men in it. Like left, unless they're maybe injured, can't fight, but she was left to look over. And the irony of this honor is that there are no men left to rule except for the elderly and the very young. Eowyn confronts that reality that although she may have traditional masculine qualities of strength, fearlessness, and the fighting ability, because she is a woman, she will not be allowed the prestige and the honor as given to the men. And she answered, All your words are but to say, but you are a woman. and your part is in the house. But when the men have died in battle and honor, you have to leave to be burned in the house. For the men will need no more, but I am of the house of end and not a serving woman. I can ride and wield blade, and I do not fear either pain or death. She does get a very complex, I guess, like... In in the book she's very very complex in her way of thinking where she is a little bit above the curve in the society of where women should be equal to men and she is beginning to question the the society that was written in Tolkien's world and it's really good that Tolkien can also bring that theme into the book of war and that he has he's created such such a strong character that could do that and in the movies she dressed up like a man to escape that cage that she was put in so that she could fight she dressed up like a male so she can go fight in the war which is very, very, very huge. I mean, it, it reminds me of some of our modern movies that we respect of women getting out of that cage. And another irony of the value of masculinity and femininity occurs during the vent in which Aeowyn proves her strength and courage and swordsmanship against the Nazgul and its rider. However, Aowen's healing seems to occur when she gains the love and respect of another. She stops feeling the need to practice the hegemonic masculine traits and instead embraces the strengths that she can be proud of. I will be a shield maiden no longer, nor vie with the great riders, nor take joy only in the songs of slaying. I will be a healer and love all things that grow and are not barren. After that huge, huge scene of her stabbing that Nazgul, the next description in the next quotation of her is that she's talking about how she will go back to loving and healing in his book. That is quite surprising that they would like bring her back. She's on this high and instead of keeping it on that high, she he writes her as if she's just gonna go back to not her womanly ways of being a maiden, but like an in-between. Like she can't keep fighting, she can't keep being a rider.
1: Um, actually, I'm. I might be wrong here. I mean, because I never read that, but I'm pretty sure she gets injured herself after she kills the Nazgul. So yeah, she's she's kind of limited. Like it's like a like she would fight, but she can't fight. So she becomes a healer. She can't heal herself, she can heal others. But the the thing is. Um, like in the movie, I think I think we got to give Peter Jackson a little credit because that scene was really really it was badass. An
0: amazing scene. Where, Made yeah. me tear up a little bit.
1: Where, <laughs> where she like where the where the Nazgul is like no man can defeat me and then she like whips off her helmet and is like I am no man and just plunges her sword into his head or whatever. But I think I think actually now that I'm now that I'm remembering the scene, she like throws the sword and like her, her arms really hurt after that because it takes a toll on you.
0: Yeah, and I think that he just focused so much on her being hurt. Like, a woman is easily hurt by something like that. Where it just is kind of, like, takes away from a big scene like that, you know? Like, it would have been really, really cool if she would have been able to, like, stand stand tall and stand, stand strong after that. But, I mean us women have to take what we can get in those movies but that that's a little bit into the gen the female side of the gender issues I want to talk a little bit about toxic masculinity before we get into the new show I would specifically like to bring up Gimli he is one of the dwarf characters in the original trilogy and he does not want to seem weak to his competitor legolas which is an elf the dwarfs and the elves have a little bit of a, a little bit of a rivalry going on so he pretends to be strong and act as if nothing phases him they have a competition of who can kill more orcs which kind of reinforces that masculine violence where to prove yourself it's how many how many can you kill Let's strength. How fast can you run? Like, don't get caught behind. Like when they're chasing after the orcs in the second movie. And that that's just a little bit into the hegemonic masculinity. The one I really want to go into it, which is kind of shocking, because I never got this from the movie. But a lot of people were saying that the friendship between between Sam and Frodo represents an alternative view on like male friendships and a lot of people were like interpreting this relationship as like a homosexual relationship because of their like their love and their emotion towards each other which is like not typically seen in movies with men as friendships and Sam displays deep affection for Frodo through his words actions and his expressed emotions a lot of people were misconstruing this as the homosexual relationship based on the definition of hegemonic masculinity and it and in turn what it really does is it just mirrors the love of a child or parent like nurturing that friendship bond and a lot of people were like seeing that as like a homosexual relationship. I mean, he does get married at the end, which, like, kind of put a stop to that, but there could have been, like, like homosexual feelings, you know? And that's what people were interpreting.
1: Yeah, he marries Rosie Cotton.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with the with They the have homosexual.
1: 13 children.
0: <laughs> exactly. I don't agree with the homosexual relationship, but a lot of people were, like, unwilling to accept that there could be, like, a deeper bond of friendship between men. I mean, huh. you're, you are a male, so <laughs> do you have friendships like that? I'm
1: not going to lie. I think that that little theory is a whole lot of... BS because oh <laughs> well, i mean okay but like the thing is i think I of sam
0: many many articles when, about it
1: when i think of sam i think of the the true hearted he's brave he's like the epitome of a good friend but it's like it's not like they were cuddled up at night like it wasn't like like and he called him mr frodo like it was more like a servant and he was he was Frodo's gardener. So he was more like a like a servant master complex if anything than a homosexual relationship.
0: No, and I agree. I agree for their deeper bond of friendship and it's so easy for us to like interpret something like that, but a lot of people were not coming to that conclusion.
1: It's like if you were on a journey and you could, you would see and you see your friend suffer like every step of it. I mean, like surely you're gonna be like, oh, just let me, let me let me. I can carry it for a little bit. Or when you see like it's like when you're when you have a friend that you care about and you see someone like Golem that is like obviously like using them or like you know manipulating them. You're going to care. Like I mean, Sam saves Frodo, but the thing is, is like Sam just dislikes Golem from the get go. And so like when you when he sees him trying to manipulate Frodo, I mean obviously he's gonna come to his aid. But honestly, like, that homosexual assumption is just really weird to me, especially because I'm gonna say this again when it's the next episode, but Tolkien took none of he actually hates allegories, so to like assume that like his, one of the relationships between two of the characters is like symbolizing a homosexual relationship in a way is just like really kind of off base.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because I didn't want to seem like we were only caring about female representation. I think that the male representation could have been better represented in the movies, but... I really want to close out this episode about talking about the new show. The new show is called The Rings of Power, and it is an Amazon Prime original. And it's, a diffi- it's different from the typical white male-dominated Lord of the Rings. As we're going to get into on one of our next episodes, we're going to get into the race... The race portion of it but I want to cover the gender change there was a representation of people wanting to see full representation within the show a lot of the people that starred in Lord of the Rings were advocating for better representation and the interesting thing is that every woman has agency on this show and every female character is not there to serve the male characters around her every one of them has autonomy on their own storylines a lot of the women are allowed to do what any other male character would have been able to do in Lord of the Rings. The vast number of female characters on the show, it's really representative of middle Earth races, which means that no character has the bur- the burden of representing an entire gender. Because the issue that we see with Arwen and Eowyn and Galadriel and why we're so critical of them is because they carried women on their backs like they were the three characters that carried gender throughout that entire show women so we're so critical of when they fall short on this character because there's only three characters to go off of and in this show there's enough female characters to go around where you're not like that character is representing all of women in middle earth so that's that's a really really good thing that came out of this show I want to go over a couple of them I'm not really going to cover them in depth but there's a character called Muriel who is not told that she cannot be her father's heir in Numenor because she's a woman Halbrand does not neg Gladriel by saying that she's pretty good at fighting for a girl he just says that she's pretty good at fighting doesn't have to include for a girl the reason some Southlanders follow Bronwyn and others turned against her is not motivated by her being a woman due to her strength and her leadership and Then Nori, who is another character, is scolded by her family all of the time, but never for being unladylike. Disa, who is one of the dwarfs, does not use feminine wiles to drive a rift between Durin and Elrond. Gender is not presented as something that these characters have to overcome on the rings of power. They don't need to be exceptional to be noteworthy. They make choices, succeed, and fail on equal grounds. as the male male characters. And it's really, really huge because this this show finally included female dwarfs. Female dwarfs were never depicted in the original movies. I mean, they existed. I mean, we know that they existed, but they were never depicted in Lord of the Rings. I mean, they were mentioned in like his books, but this is the first time they were actually depicted. And the biggest, the biggest change is Gladriel. So Gladriel, who appears on screen for roughly 11 minutes in all three Lord of the Rings Extended editions is for all intents and purposes the protagonist of the Rings of Power. She has been the subject of a range of bad faith complaints. Similar complaints have also been lodged against the Rings of Power for casting actors across racial backgrounds. You would think that the cis white blonde Galadriel would not ruffle too many bigoted feathers. However, search Galadriel on Twitter and you'll see that she's apparently too skilled, too incompetent, too smart, too stupid, too kind, or too to mean depending on the person in the day all i see is a complex character with flaws and lessons to learn before she becomes the wise and still spooky scary woman the fellowship meets in in that movie and she's had a long life after all and with time for many careers and changes of pace but in this movie she she's an amazing badass woman in one scene she's fighting eight men all at once super badass and she consistently goes against how they want her to act and how the elves want her to be and it's just it's just like really really interesting that they would cover something like that but I think where the show does fall short is at the very, very end. They spend all season building up this strong female character who will do anything she can to get what she wants. And which is really, really nice to see. But at the end, which goes completely against how... Tolkien had originally wrote her character and their past is that Gladriel welcomed the big bad Sauron unknowingly into the palace, which never happened in the way Tolkien wrote. It was a creative decision made by Amazon. And by doing this, you're like made to believe that, yep, she's stupid. How dare she? How dare she let the big bad into that elf palace? Like it's disappointing that they even decided to do that because Gladriel herself the way Tolkien wrote it and the way that Tolkien had thought about the past was that she was like a very very smart character who knew that he existed and would never let him get close and Amazon really dropped the bag on that
1: well, I think that just goes to show how like sort of cunning and deceitful Sauron is that he would be able to to fool, you know, the respected general of the elves' armies, like, but I do see that you probably would have wanted her to be unvaluable in her rising, shining moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what we, we were all asking for, was... A, the strong character that she was supposed to be but I mean there's many issues with the show I mean we could spend an entire podcast about talking about all the inconsistencies but the one thing that the show does different than the original movie trilogies is that it does give women a chance to shine and it doesn't make one character carry women representation on their back the entire movie and I mean I think that's it for the gender podcast. I mean, I don't really think there's anything else to add. Thank you guys so much for listening. And next up in our next episode, we will be covering race.